Hello, welcome to Sitcom Geeks. I'm Dave Cohen. And I'm James Carey. And uh, today we're doing a slightly different uh, Sitcom Geeks from normal. Normally we uh, talk about sitcoms, inevitably, this being Sitcom Geeks. In uh, forensic detail. Absolutely, yeah. yes. Uh, nerdy detail, yeah. really. And uh, we often have a uh, guest, and most, mostly the guests that we've had are, are comedy writers. I think yes, I think mostly, pretty, yeah, mostly in the old yeah. performer. Uh, but it's different today. Today we are in the offices of the nursery, not to be confused with a nursery. As you can tell, the uh, lack of three-year-olds screaming in the background means that it's actually a real, uh, a proper office. And uh, we're joined. Uh, the nursery is uh, an advertising research uh, centre. Is that? Um, have, I, have I sold you well there? Pretty much, yeah. That's okay, and I'd like to introduce you to our uh, guests uh, who we have today. We have uh, Pauline McGowan, who's the research director. Hello. And Kate Benson. Hello. And Virginia Gale. Hello. And they're both researchers uh, as well. And the reason we're here, the reason we're talking, is because uh, recently they did a very big survey on uh, humour and comedy and what you, uh, not necessarily you the writer, but maybe you the, the, the comedy punter, uh, what you like and what you don't like. And As opposed uh, to what you say you like. Uh, yes, uh, which we'll come to actually, <laughs> yeah. it's very, very uh, interesting. Uh, you can't all it. like the detectorists really, because yeah. <laughs> nobody watches it. And, and <clears throat> you think you're something that you're not as well, which is, uh, which is something that we'll discuss a bit later. Um, the thing I'm most terrified of is I've answered a questionnaire about what sort of things I find funny. Mm. Yeah. And I was rather horrified at the end of this questionnaire <laughs> to discover that I wasn't given the answers and the results. Well, And then they're going to be revealed to me. They are Lies. going to be revealed. <laughs> this is okay. very worrying. Very, very soon. But before we do that, could I just very quickly, uh, Pauline, could, could you give us a very sort of uh, rough idea of um, what, what the survey was, uh, why you did the survey and um, what you were hoping to find from it? Sure. Well, we research ads a lot, um, lots of advertising ideas, and look at a lot of scripts which are intended to be funny. A lot of brands want to be funny, that's how you engage uh, consumers. But the process of researching scripts is really difficult because we get, you're doing an online survey, there's a detachment with people, and also how you analyse what's funny and what's not. Um, we found it's really subjective that unless people laugh out loud, scripts are discarded and they could be laughing for loads of reasons. And there's no context either. What are you trying to achieve? What type of humour do you want to convey? Um, and so we've always looked for, or we started to look at some desk research. We wanted to understand the sort of construct around humour. What, what should we be looking for as opposed to that immediate laugh? And we found so little research done on humour, which is a bit shocking, actually. And yeah. there's a lot of opinion pieces and a lot of subjectivity around it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and people feel that they understand humour a lot. And there's an implication or people feel they understand what a British sense of humour is as well. And we weren't sure that was true. And, um, and people always, we know that there's a lot of snobbery around humour as well. And we often find we do some research and people would laugh out loud and then profess to hate the, the joke that they've just heard or the yeah, sketch yeah. they've just seen and, and just to try and understand that a little bit more so we thought we should do a little study yeah. and uh, try and understand what is the predominant humour type of the UK and just uh, just progress forward just have a bit of a debate about it so, so, you just, so you designed a questionnaire to kind of elicit this kind of you know what do you actually find funny yeah so we wanted to find out what, uh, what the predominant 
humour time for the UK was and, and how we just understand humour a little bit more. And there's another issue in advertising, which is that brands particularly shy away from brave humour mm. or something that's really out there and they end up being quite bland mm. and everything gets dumbed down a little bit because one person might say, oh, I think that's a bit too edgy or offensive. Mm. Um, and so we wanted to get over that point as well, that actually, you know, we need to push it a little bit. And uh, we, want, we wanted to know as well what, what humour actually does, what humour can do for brands. I think brands are aware that you know, it can make them memorable, but actually through this study we found it does so much more as well. Right. Um, yeah. I think this is interesting as well, just, just, to, just to go to our core audience at this yeah. point, the uh, people who want to write uh, comedy, it is, it, it's, without, it's, it's not so much about second guessing what people want, but it's, it's interesting to know that there are certain, uh, break, breaking down humour into certain groups mm. um, and certain types of humour allows you to think about, well, what do I do well, which, uh, what should I put more effort into now um, you came up with uh, nine categories uh, didn't you I think when we talked about this initially you, you said something you, like you, you initially had something like 122 or something yeah. how, how did you come up with the 122 and then I mean don't, don't give us all each one individually and then how did you come down to the nine and actually after after you've explained that we will then find out it will be revealed yeah. with live on air <laughs> which of the number nine I am which <laughs> yeah. I know already yeah. but which James is so, uh, yeah. uh, so James if you think if you remember this, the question that I started asking about ten minutes ago how did you come yes, up with 120 just, categories well yeah I mean we just started by doing some desk research and it, there were just so many different types um, on the internet some positive some negative um and I mean, in, we just knew we had to distill it down um, in some way. So we started to categorise them. It seemed like lots came under the same umbrella. For example, there were things like farce, we thought could come mm. into the a large kind of physical humour and mm. um, slapstick genre. Um, and then we also did some internal workshops here at the nursery. We got everyone involved trying to, trying to come up with their own and categorise. And then once we'd managed to distill it down in our heads here, we then took it out to the public and we went to some comedy venues. So we went to the Panto and tested it there um, and tried to ask people there what they thought and if, if they thought there was lots of different types and tested our ones. Um, and then by that point, we also took it to some comedy experts. So. We spoke to some different comedy writers, Paul Powell we spoke to. We know Paul Powell. Paul Powell <laughs> and um, Steve Hall as well, who works with Russell Howard. Um, and it seemed like from that point, we pretty much got there. There, there were some we had to lose along the way. For example, it seemed like obs observational humour seemed like a really big thing to people, that kind of situational comedy. Mm. But it, it seemed like it was so overarching of everything that actually it was perhaps more of a a tool than a type right, of yeah. humour. Okay. Um, I suppose observational humour you could class uh, Michael McIntyre yes. and Frankie Boyle to some yes. extent. Yeah. Exactly. You, both as observational but you wouldn't, you wouldn't uh, yeah. put them it, in, in any other category. It I felt you could have very dark observations or very mm. <laughs> light-hearted yeah. silly observations. Mm. Um, so in the end the nine that we came up with seemed like they were broad enough so that actually people would fall into those categories they weren't too niche but they were also distinct enough from one each other that um, there would be a difference in terms of finding the shows and finding yeah. examples of it and um, so yeah it was a long process and I think it's still a working process but um, I think we're pretty much there with our nine types. Yeah. 
So with the, the what could you talk us through the nine the, the nine types of comedy in the entire world? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, we've got um, slapstick, surreal, on silly and silly, which we kind of have on the the light hearted end of the scale. Right. Um, then witty, self deprecating, and sarcastic which we've cast as a bit more, you know, cerebral. Mm-hmm. And then on the, the darker, edgier side, we've got dark, offensive, and gross out. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. okay, well, I took the survey, and uh, it was found that, um, in fact, my sense of humour was silly, <laughs> which absolutely thrilled me to know that, um, because, well, I suppose that's... A lot of what I write is for kids, so that's great. Um, and um, I'm always also a little bit worried that I'm a bit serious. So if people think I'm silly, that's fantastic news <laughs> to me. And so what was James? Uh, how did James come out? So James, you thought to... We also asked people how they would describe their own Yes, yeah. so I thought I, was, I thought I was interested in witty. You thought that you were probably... And the reason I say that is also my favourite sitcom of all time is Yes, Prime Minister, which is wordy, witty, yeah. clever. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like big big, big laughs and big jokes as well though and I'm not into dark stuff at all so I'm, 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 not, I'm assuming you're not going to tell me I'm interested in dark. Uh, no, not <laughs> no, offensive. No. Um, you're on the right scale. Mm. You didn't come out as witty, you came out as sarcastic. Ah! Oh. isn't a million miles away. Yeah, right. And from the one-line email we got from you yesterday, we yeah. already identified uh, okay. <laughs> that's very good. No, Sar- that sounds right. interesting that uh, you uh, associate... Uh, I, 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 and I think I'm, I think sarcasm is, a, is what I thought I would come out with, actually, for me. Um, but you associate sarcasm a lot with uh, warmth. Yeah. How did that? Uh, how did that come about? Yeah. So when we we looked up the we looked at kind of dictionary definitions of each of our our humour types, and when we looked up sarcastic, there's often kind of negative connotations mm. around it. It was used to to demean people and often in a cruel sense. Mm. But actually, what we observed, um, and particularly with men, was that it was used in a really warm way, and it was mm. used with friendship. So you'd, you'd have men describing their friendships using sarcasm. Mm. Um, they'd say, you know, this is my friend uh, John and, you know, he's a short ass mm. and I don't much like him, yeah. uh, but he makes me look good. And that's, yeah, yeah. that's why we're mates. <laughs> um, and that's true love, essentially. Well, yeah. 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 So that's close as So that's pretty get. much me and Dave, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> this is Dave. <laughs> He's older than me, he's shorter than me, he makes me look good. Yeah, I'm no. shorter than you. What? <laughs> Suddenly gets a little some, bit. Tape measures out. Yes, yeah, um, back to back. Come yeah, on, let's right. do this. Okay, not yeah. a competitive male. Well, it was interesting because honestly, the, the, the only thing I found about the. Um, there were a number of programmes when you were ticking the thing, uh, sort of, that I thought I would have clicked yes to that maybe a year or two ago, but I'm sort of done with it. So I think uh, Have I Got News for You was one of them. And I've just stopped watching it. Um, because I remember I stopped writing for it. <laughs> well, I, re- I remember when I I remember when it started, and I have pretty much watched every single episode for about twenty years. And now I'm like, oh, I'm just, I think I'm done because of the relentless actual cynicism of it. Mm. And that's interesting that yeah. sarcasm and cynicism we might be tempted to put together, but they're not. Mm. No, and they're I not think, the same I think thing. maybe in other countries mm. they probably yeah. are, but mm. I think that we kind of found and we, we started to believe that the unique British sense of humour is this warm sarcasm mm. 
um, affectionate sarcasm. Mm. And that's why people don't understand British humour. So in the States, that definitely isn't the case. Mm. We've, spoken to, um, we've presented this to uh, some people from the States, and, and they were saying their big issue in the UK is trying to navigate what people actually think of them. Because yeah. we're saying the ruder somebody in the UK is to you, the more they like you, and the nicer they are to you, yeah. the more they yeah. dislike you, yeah. <laughs> or they have no feelings about you. I mean, I, I think a, a show like Would I Lie to You, I, I, I would very easily categorised as a, a very warm show, um, and uh, but and riddled with sarcasm. It is, yeah. isn't that? I mean, uh, Lee, I mean, uh, writing for Lee Mack, uh, writing on not going out. You know, sarcasm. You, you, you're looking for sarcasm in, uh, to, to write in every line, yeah. really. Um, and David Mitchell as well as he employs sarcasm to yeah. great effect. Um, but yeah, it, 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 it's not a horrible show by any stretch no, of the imagination, show. is it? It's just a, it's a delight. And, and that, 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 that's an interesting uh, thing that I hadn't th- thought about before. But what, what I was quite interested as well with the research uh, uh, was, um, and especially as uh, James said, think of, think of himself as witty, and you have you've got some quite interesting figures, haven't you? About I'm sorry, I don't think of myself as witty. I am witty. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Just you yeah. Yeah, 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 yes. Yeah. Uh, I was yes. being sarcastic. No, no, I wasn't. <laughs> no, self-deprecating. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I, 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 um, I think you've got some in, um, some figures about sarcasm. People who thought that they were witty, rather, and and what did you what did your research tell you about? Not James, of course. Yeah, yeah, but in general. Genuinely people witty. who thought they were witty very rarely were. Yeah, so we, found, yeah, so we found that we uh, people overestimate um, <laughs> uh, how much they appreciate witty humour um, right. and witty content. So most people would describe yeah. um, themselves as appreciating witty humour the most. Um, we found that uh, 47% of people said that they appreciated witty humour, but actually our results told us that it was only 8%. And the opposite was true of slapstick. So um, only 9% of people said they appreciated and laughed at slapstick humour the most. But actually 48%, you know, nearly half of our, our survey population um, laughed the most at slapstick humour. That's really interesting, yeah. isn't it? Isn't it? Well, it's, it's a bit like the, um, the something Kruger effect or something where people... It's a, it's a lack of self-awareness. So people who... The less people know, the more they tend to overestimate their own abilities. So it may be <laughs> yeah. people who think they're witty are actually much less likely to actually be witty. Yeah. And from a boringly technical situation comedy standpoint, it may be of interest to, for you to know that whenever I come across whenever I'm script editing scripts, um, I always cross out lines that are witty. Yeah. Um, so, because I, I always, because quite often I say, oh, somebody might say that in real life, but it's not actually a joke. Mm-hmm. So that the, the character's trying to be witty, and I now don't like that character because mm-hmm. they obviously think they're funny. Whereas wit, wit implies a certain level of self-awareness as well, which is actually relatively toxic to a sitcom, because in sitcoms people don't really know how they come across. There is a lack of self-awareness with your characters. And you can have some self-aware characters, most obviously being... Uh, Martin Freeman's character in The Office, yeah. um, Tim, who spends a lot of time looking at the camera going, are you getting this? this? These people are insane. But overall, people in that show don't, you know, people in any sitcom don't get how they yeah. come across. And lines that are sort of wit, mm. you know, and you know, stuff that your dad might say, um, you just go, no, you, if you're a comedy writer and you're writing a sitcom script, you have to do actual jokes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that's exactly mm. what we found, that 
this was content we were talking to how people respond to programs or shows or ads right. rather than how they interact with each other on a daily basis mm. so um, yeah. you know that's how we do we don't fall over and try and entertain yeah. ourselves mm. we are witty and we indulge mm. in banter and mm. playful chatter but actually translating that to content mm. I think we overestimate how funny it should be or something mm. we do yeah. right. but that, I think this um, and this this brings us to the subject this is like um, bringing up Brexit now I won't um, <laughs> rather than bring up Brexit I will bring up the comedic equivalent yeah. uh, which is Mrs Brown's Boys <laughs> which um, I, I did a little survey actually and I found that uh, very generally uh, and again there are exceptions to this that, but um, that, that people who voted leave like Mrs Brown's Boys and people who voted remain hate Mrs. Brown's boys. It's love-hate. There's no kind of in-between. But uh, I, 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 I realise it's not... Uh, there's not a lot of uh, work has gone into the statistics for this theory of mine. But uh, it's totally <laughs> anecdotal. But I, I was interested in uh, some of the experiments that you did with uh, people. That sounds... Cost- <laughs> stuck them in a room to watch Mrs. Brown's boys, but and then you did this. Yeah, that's cruel. You can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> we did. Strap them, yeah. <laughs> we, we Strap did them exactly to a chair. Yeah. 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 And um, you forced them to watch clips, and, and I gather that people sitting there, stony faced, with their arms crossed, by the end of the clips were laughing, and that was really uh, very cruel of you to do that. <laughs> so you made those people have to completely rethink their views about comedy but what uh, go into a bit more detail about Mrs Brown's boys so So, um, yeah so we thought we couldn't do the whole survey without understanding Mrs Brown's boys it is a very controversial topic of course and we did find we asked people whether they loved it or hated it in our survey Um, those are extremes that people usually don't choose the extremes Mm, usually don't choose love or hate they're somewhere in the middle they're neutral about most things Whereas we found nearly half the people love Mrs. Brown's Boys, but nearly 30% hate it. Very few people ended up in the middle. And most of the people that hated it, we found anecdotally when we went out to talk to them, uh, had never seen it. They just hated the concept of it. They hated the thought of it. It looked like a throwback in the 70s. And, and they vaguely felt it was maybe sexist and demeaning. And, and, they, and they hated the very basic sense of the humour. It didn't feel that sophisticated. Um, but so we did trap them in a room. We made them watch clips, <laughs> and uh, they professed, "This is, you know, I'm going to hate this. It's going to be the worst two minutes of my life." And by the end, exactly, they were all laughing, mm. and then suddenly had to analyse their own behaviour yeah. a bit. Not all of them were. Laughing. Not all of them were, but um, I have to say, the people that were more open probably did mm. laugh. Uh, when we went, we've presented this in. Um, probably the metropolitan elite, a lot of uh, London ad agencies, and uh, and the response there was hilarious. I mean, they got very angry about the fact that people like Mrs. Brown's voice, mm-hmm. um, and quite depressed about the state of the country. The people who liked it, uh, but the people who enjoyed it actually just said it's fun, it's playful. Yeah, who it's cares? Yeah, it's just yes. a bunch of jokes. Yeah. Yes. But it's interesting going back to what you were saying about. Um, I think I can't remember whether my parents watch it or not. But my parents are exactly the kind of people who would say, oh, yeah, we watched that. Yeah, it was rubbish. And, you know, and you go, yeah, you watched every episode, though, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, we watched it. So, so it isn't rubbish. Um, oh, yeah, no, it's definitely rubbish. And we sort of then sort of teeter over into what, inf- what I infuriatingly refer to as guilty pleasures. Oh, you know, watch Miranda, it's a guilty pleasure. What? No, it's just a pleasure, isn't it? Yeah. If you like it, it's a pleasure. If you, you don't have to feel bad about liking it. Mm. 
Um, I think people do still these days in 2017, people do feel a little bit guilty about enjoying audience sitcom, don't they? We've discussed this Mm. with other writers as well about how how the kind of the the, the panto nature, I suppose, Mm. really, of of audience sitcom, especially uh, when when there's so much more of of the you know uh, the the, the three darker categories, there's so much more comedy that could be included there, and so people just look at audience sitcom as a kind of throwback really don't they mm-hmm. but I mean and yet, yeah, yeah. I mean but, but you say the word panto the, the entire theatre in this country could barely exist were it not for a month a year yeah. thousands of people and I'm going to be one I went to two pantos last year but mm-hmm. I'm going to go back to the octagon in Yeovil uh, to see whatever it is they're doing mm-hmm. and yeah it's rubbish but it's not rubbish. It's great. It's mm. funny. My kids like it. I liked it. Um, I laughed a lot. You know, there's there's an acknowledgement of like these are the jokes, folks. You know, get used to it, sort of stuff. We, we're all in on it. It's not as if they're pulling a fast one. Yeah. Um, there was a, but without that, the, a lot of theatres would close, and they wouldn't be able to do their Chekhov and their Ibsen and all this kind of other stuff. Because at the end of the day, we we love. We love who's behind you. And we, yeah, we've grown up with, with Panto. It's part of British culture. And there was a study that I read um, that said, in terms of theatre goers, Britain had the strongest um, percentage of, of people going to the theatre. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. Are we, you know, are we really, what is it? Are we just really, in, you know, really into um, kind of cerebral stuff? But actually, if you broke that down, majority of that was because of the Panto, yeah. people going to the Panto. Yeah. And it was funny, one of our, somebody was telling us about going to see Mrs. Brown's Boys live mm. and saying, and he was, you know, Because it young was guy. originally a live show. Yeah. Mm. He's a young guy and he went with his mother and his aunt and, uh, you know, he was saying, this really wasn't what I was into. I just went along with them. And he was talking about how this community spirit, that everybody was in it, as you were saying, mm. everybody's in it together, mm. everybody's laughing together. And he said, just that feeling of togetherness laughing with other people mm. and it's a pretty special feeling you don't get it very often and that's what the pattern is well, yeah and it is a fact because also when people get angry about it having never seen it if they haven't seen it they won't know that I think even in the very first episode um, where Mrs Brown is sitting at her kitchen table and she says something oh I'm worried about all of my kids growing up and leaving home and the audience will go ah oh, and looks at me and goes I'm a broken address <laughs> <laughs> No, he just slaps yeah. slaps them yeah. Um, yeah. for uh, for having an emotional response. Yeah. Um, so it, it they you know it knows yeah. what it's doing. Yeah. Mm. Um, it includes the audience. <laughs> absolutely. How how would you define just if I could make another sweeping generalisation then? How would you define British humour? What what do, what do we like the most? What. So well, by far well, the biggest response. You say what, what's going to what's going to sell washing powder? Because ultimately <laughs> that's what it comes down to. Is in terms of you, you guys need to know this because your advertisers need to know because they're they're trying to make money. So, but yeah. also we yeah. we we would like to know what our audiences yeah. want to watch. I mean, obviously we'll we'll write and then tell Shane Allen. Yeah, mm. the BBC. So, uh, well, they. I mean, the type of humour that people reacted most strongly to was slapstick. Mm, yeah. um, but when we talk to people, what they actually really enjoyed was the unexpected, a bit of a surprise, you know. George Orwell uh, was, uh, he defined, he was one of the other people who had written about jokes. He said a joke 
is a tiny revolution, he described a joke, which yeah, is a, and, and the, that's the, the surprise element, yes. I think. That, uh, and that, yeah. that causes a physical reaction, which is laughter, that surprise, yeah. often, mm. um, which is what slapstick right, and it does. Well, slapstick is the only type of humour that causes that belly yeah. laugh, that instinctive, you can't control it. So all those people watching Mrs. Spanx were always belly laughing, and then yeah. claiming to dislike it, they could, because they couldn't, they yeah. couldn't control that first. And, I mean, and, and that's why a lot of entertainment shows rely on this. I'm thinking, for some reason, I'm thinking of the Generation Game. Mm-hmm. And that made people, you know, that was a huge, huge yeah. show because you had members of the public, um, you know, re- relatives, aunties and uncles or whatever it was, trying to make something out of clay or trying to do this. And you kind of, it, it would go wrong and it would be slapstick. And you would never quite know how it was going to go wrong. But <laughs> So I had that surprise, I had the slapstick. It was an absolutely enormous show. And you'd have a warm comedy person yeah. there to kind yeah. of, uh, to, to stop it going. That, so so the, the, the point at which... Uh, slapstick, which is basically a, a man dressed as a woman falling over. Uh, at what point does that become cruel and horrible? Well, you know, if you watch that on the news, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not funny, really. So I suppose there is. Um, there's definitely a little bit of tension that's probably mm, part of it as well and the other thing is people love a bit of you know being a bit crude and a bit rude Mm. and a bit of innuendo again it's just it's fun Mm. and it uh, I think it was those little snippets of slapstick as well in shows that you wouldn't normally consider slapstick that made and so funny and memorable mm, so we were mm. looking at shows like Only Fools and Horses mm, and Blackadder yeah. which you wouldn't think of as slapstick mm. shows necessarily but it was just those slapstick mem- like moments within yeah. that stood out yeah, to people but yeah because it's not uh, Fools and Horses is not a terribly slapstick show and yet the three things that one <laughs> can remember from it one is the Batman and Robin bit where they're running down the street to the rescue one is Del Boy falling through the bar and the other one is the chandelier mm-hmm. and they are absolutely pure slapstick but also they they, they, are, they work as standalone clips because they're slapstick they don't yeah. really require any context yeah. um, but um, but no it is yeah, and there was an appreciation that uh, behind all of that behind that moment uh, falling through the bar is you know a choreography and the way it's written mm. and that uh, you know it, that's cleverly done mm. in order to it, you have to be clever to make people yeah. laugh to create that belly laugh the um, I'm interested just to go back to uh, advertisers and brands and things because you, we talked a bit earlier about how they they worry about comedy and want to basically take the edges off it. To me, that seems like a pretty major problem. One of the one of the things I'm going to write about in this book um, is partly is, is religion because uh, I'm also I'm a, I'm a Christian, uh, you know, a proper God botherer. Um, and churches uh, have a bad reputation for comedy because churches like to control. They like to be in total control and comedy is is anarchy it's a ti- it's a tiny revolution mm. and so the book um about this explicitly is the name of the rose which is a, we've turned into a movie where they're trying to basically eliminate laughter um from you know there's a there's a i think it's, i think it's an aristotle manuscript about how comedy works right. and they're trying to destroy it or get rid of it somebody's found it in this library and that's why they're killed uh-huh. because the moment you start to laugh at god you know that's that's the end of civilization as far as this monk was concerned. Right. But then actually, I was talking to a friend of mine who works in commercial radio, who is a sort of a DJ sort of person, and he says, "Oh yeah, they always tell me not to make jokes." And I was thinking, but you you love jokes and people sort of like, and then you think, 
oh yeah, commercial radio is sort of full of things that sort of sound like jokes, but they just yeah. they just sort of aren't really. Mm. And that's again because commercial radio, like the church, has to control everything because they've got sponsors, they've got campaigns, and if if somebody just sort of anarchically sort of decides to completely undermine something, that's that could cost them millions of pounds. So how how do you think, in your experience, you know, do you persuade a uh, a brand to actually embrace comedy and to some extent just publish and be damned? It's going to have collateral. Live with it or don't bother. But do you have any thoughts on that? Well, they. um, I mean, that's exactly true for brands, and they have been very safe with comedy and uh, the ad agencies do try hard to put mm. together something interesting and the I guess the perceived wisdom was always you get it right fantastic there's great rewards but if you get it wrong it's a disaster mm. wrong being you're offensive and rude and you turn people off and we find what wrong is being bland right. and forgettable that even if you're offensive you can, you can manage that you know you can apologize mm. a bit if it's if it's over the top and the brands that, and the way, well, this study was one of the ways that we were hoping to mm. get that message across, but also highlighting some brands that have done really well um, and that have humour at the heart of them, like Paddy Power, for instance, right. who teeter on the edge of offensiveness right. and some of the things that they do, but they're always relevant, they're always on the ball, and they kind of, um, they temper it with some playfulness. And people are never really sure mm. whether they should laugh at Paddy Power ad or not, but right. they understand what the brand's trying to do. And it's different to the kind of overt laddishness of Ladbrokes or something. Yeah, like that. It's yeah. a bit cleverer. Um, it's amazing to me. There is a. I mean, I don't know if you watch much Sky Sports, but quite often they were. I remember there was a campaign where I think it was Ladbrokes or someone like that. They created these four or five characters who were different kinds of gamblers, and there was one who used to used to do all the number crunching, and he used to do. And there was the one who lived life on the edge, and there was the one. And so what they'd done is they basically set up a sitcom, mm. and there was nothing funny about it. <laughs> it was also it felt yeah. like a trailer for a show that didn't exist and would never exist. I remember watching it just thinking, oh, you could actually that could be quite a funny sitcom sponsored by Ladbrokes, <laughs> yeah. and you could sort of follow them yeah. in their you know in yeah. their sort of kind of they constantly disappoint their girlfriends and lose money, but also make money just enough to keep them in the game. And at that point, you're starting to unpick what online gambling is, and they go, oh, I know, we don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it was amazing how sitcommy it looked. And how it was completely airbrushed of anything that would actually be funny, yeah. and they never followed through on on anything. It mm. was really interesting, mm. um, and I don't think very helpful. But clearly, Ladbrokes do better than I do. So what do yeah, I know? but I mean, whether people are interested in gambling or not, they really enjoy Paddy Power, mm. right. um, and yeah. because it's a bit clever and, and at, at its heart, understanding odds. And, mm. You know, that's yeah. kind of intelligent, really. Yeah. There was one advert uh, that you showed that was um, interesting, and it sort of ticked all nine boxes, didn't it? Which was, which for a comedy writer, that's got to be your kind of holy grail, really, isn't it? Really. Um, But this is, I mean, it's a great advert for for Skittles, isn't it? And it's uh, it's about a a guy who works for Skittles, and he's got the he's got the Midas touch. Everything he touches turns to Skittles, and. Everyone goes, oh wow, that's fantastic! And you go, what? You think that's fantastic? 
sits uh, goes to sit at his desk, sits on chair, and it's becomes skittles mm. and tries to pick up the phone and, and you know so it's uh, uh, and he's yeah. got this wonderful line mm. where he says you can't hold your newborn baby and so it's got it's it's kind of surreal and gross it's a bit gross yeah. like people are repulsed by some of it yeah. it's silly it's, it's dark with the kid you know yeah. you can't yeah. hold yeah. your own kid yeah. Um, as yes. a man falling over every time he tries to sit on a chair exactly he's yeah. got a slapstick in there yeah. it yeah. plays with kind of yeah. uh, the cultural thought of the Midas touch there your nose and it's also throughout they're always eating skittles so it's always true yeah. to what they're trying to achieve yeah. and it's a very very clever ad most of the ads we showed so the most popular ad we showed was Mr Bean ad was Rolex mm. and Mr Bean doing and Snickers. Snickers yeah you're not um, you when you're hungry yeah which is mainly because most people like slapstick but um, but like, people who I, like they like Rowan Atkinson and they like yeah, yeah. of course mm. but people who mm. like dark humour for instance hated it it yeah, just wasn't yeah. on their radar but this skittles ad every single humour type reacted positively yeah. to it which is yeah. incredible but um, and again, it's unexpected and it's different. Mm. And, um, well, there's one interesting thing as well. The, the three most popular faces that came up on your research, um, number one was Rowan Atkinson, number two was Simon Pegg. Now, I don't know if you know the answer to this, James, but do you know who number three was? We've got Rowan Atkinson, Simon Pegg, who would number three, might number three? I honestly wouldn't have any idea. Um, not David Jason or um, not Miranda. No, no. no. Do you want to do you want to say who it was or it was? Well, I thought it was Carl Pilkington. <laughs> yes, people what was yeah. it? Carl How Pilkington. What was it about Carl Pil- Pil- Pilkington? I can't even say the name properly. That was so loved among so many people. He kept popping up, didn't he? He kept. I mean, he just seems really natural, and uh, which is hilarious because people don't actually know if he's real or not. Um, um, so it, it just seems is like he friends with Ricky yeah. is his name is he that grumpy about everything and sarcastic and it's the fact that like you say about um, you were saying in sitcoms people can't be self aware mm. he seems completely unself aware he yeah. doesn't know what's going yeah. he just feels like life's really getting him down and people are, you can easily laugh at him but yeah. you've also there's a certain kind of affection towards he's him he's kind of a well. downtrodden kind of yeah, puppy yeah. dog isn't he mm. and um, he always says something that you yeah. can but it just feels really unscripted, I think, is yeah. the key. And rich, yeah. Rich and that's what we felt um, was really successful about Northern humour generally. It all felt like it was it really kind of this unscripted type of humour. We don't like the word unscripted on this programme. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah, and that's another thing. A lot, a lot of people think that they uh, think that they're really funny, and they they because well, they they quote lines that you wrote or yeah. some a comedy writer wrote. People always think that they've made up things like too much information, or did I say that out loud? You know, which are yeah. both both from friends. But um, just just uh, if you don't mind, if James and I have a, a, a little chat about this at this point, which is that uh, we talked about that Skittles ad that's got all these nine things that are right about it. But as a as a comedy writer, do you actually think do you think we should be aiming? to get all nine or do you think we should be going mainly for slapstick given it's so popular I think you I think to answer that I would go back to what we were just saying earlier about unscripted so there is a sense in which a decent script shouldn't seem scripted yeah Yeah. and so all the motivations are right everyone's um, saying stuff you know again when I'm script editing um, scripts what sometimes I circle a line 
and write, no human being has ever said this. Um, because it's obviously, it's just either it's just plain badly written, or um, oh, they have to say it in that particular way to set up the next line for a joke, in which case you go, okay, well, you're going to have to find a better setup or the joke goes, because this is not, this is, this is the wrong ramp into that um, thing. So I think, and, that, and the reason I think all of that re- resonates is because of this, the buzzword of, of, of these days is authenticity. Mm. So I think, you know, I think people, people love Coronation Street because they say it's so funny. And if you're from the Southwest, like I am, you're slightly baffled by, you know, how funny Coronation Street is meant to be. But it's authentic from that sort of area. And if you're from there, it really feels like, it really feels authentic. But to me, it's like, oh, is that authentic? I, I don't know. It doesn't, you know. Um, so I think if you're writing, if you're scripting stuff, it needs to be kind of authentic, not only to you as the writer, but also to the characters that you've created and to the world that you've created. And so sometimes you can have um, ideas or jokes or set piece scenes that you think, that's just not right for this, mm. for this show. And sometimes, you know, and sometimes you learn that the hard way. And sometimes, actually, you might be tempted to self-edit before. Uh, but, you know, a really sophisticated show like Seinfeld has some incredible slapstick in it, mm. especially in the last series where you end up having George Costanza basically playing Frogger with a fridge or a cooker trying to get it across a six-lane freeway or something. And you're boom, 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 boom. Just like, what the hell is going on? This is astonishing. So I think, um, again, yeah, I I wouldn't say try to hit as many bases as possible in your script. But equally, you'd say you don't don't narrow down your options too much. Yeah. Um, and I can I can understand just just to bring it back to you and, and, and ask in, in conclusion when you go to talk to advertising agencies I mean presumably you can uh, come up with something that's quite bad taste or offensive or gross out that you know an, an advertiser might that, that might appeal to somebody for their brand do you, what what do you do when you go to see companies or what do you, what do you suggest to them. Well, when we're looking at advertising ideas, you're looking for something that's got a bit of energy, that's sticky, and that's relevant to people, uh, Mm. essentially. And most brands, I mean, they advertise, they don't really want to say anything, they just want to stick in people's heads. And uh, humour is a brilliant way to do that, Mm. and it creates conversation, and it feels more human, Mm. isn't it, rather than more Mm. corporate. And so our advice to them is just stand out a bit more, just do mm. something original mm. and be, be bold and brave. And if you've got the option between the brave idea versus the idea that everybody feels comfortable with, mm. well, mm. you know, you've been going for the comfortable one, but well, everybody's doing um, it and it's not that interesting. Yeah. And what's your, what would you say your success rate has been since doing this uh, research? So do you think they've been listening? I think, I mean, the ad agency is definitely listening and everybody is really... Are they using your report to beat the clients with, to some extent? I think so, yeah. yeah. I think so. And um, it, But you have to be a brave client. You, yeah. know? you have to be a brave brand to do it. And it's easy not to be brave. Yeah. Um, but I think so. I think people have been really interested in the research because they've never seen research like this before. Mm. Uh, we've never conducted research like it before. And the findings are surprising. People always expect it, witty, to come through much more strongly. Yeah. 
um, they expect that. And we know when we're researching scripts for ads, um, people are so proud of one line, as yeah. you said, the line that nobody has ever said yeah. ever in the history of mankind. And um, and that's the, and that's when they get d- disappointed by when people just don't react to it mm. or groan. Um, so we're saying just be be original and and don't shy away from as you said slapstick mm. and a bit of you know great British innuendo and mm. you know that sort of panto carry on feel mm. because again it's just what's engaging and creates connections with people. Um, but also somebody you don't have to be um, retro or old fashioned mm. to do it. So somebody like Skittles is doing it in mm. a very modern way. And we found and like it's similar we, like with Mrs. Brown's Boys where everyone loves to hate it. It's the same with advertising, things like money supermarkets, just completely slapstick. But actually that's the one that everyone remembers and that they yeah. laugh at and Get sticks out. Yeah. 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 And those are actually quite brave original ads, you know, yeah. that twerking on money supermarket. Right. right. It's, it's yeah. pretty gross mm. ads really. But um but again, I mean it's a brave idea to do that. Mm-hmm. Has this sort of ruined comedy for you? Because <laughs> I get asked this a lot because I sort of go, oh, whenever you're watching a sitcom, you, are you analysing it? To which the answer is, well, kind of, yes. Yeah. But are you finding yourself watching something going, no, I wonder what sort this is? You know, oh, type three, <laughs> oh, type six, bit of type five there. I think it's made me more, more interested in, in watching different forms of comedy and more open um, to different comedy shows that, that I may have you know, uh, thought no, it's not that won't possibly be for me. I've kind mm. of I appreciate it a lot more actually and, and the mechanics behind it. Mm. Especially things like offensive humour. Yeah. I've started like trying to watch mm. more comedy like that just because now when we've talked to people and they talk about how brave it is and actually how intelligent some of the offensive humour is, I've started to try and listen to it. What more. are you out of interest of the nine, you three? I was surreal, which is apparently what most of the 40-plus-year-old men are. I was self-deprecating, which is a, a, a often found in kind of females, don't oh, appreciate yeah. self-deprecation. Uh-huh. And I was sarcastic as well, which oh, was a bit surprised right. at. I thought I'd be sillier and more light-hearted, but apparently okay. now I've got a So we've got two, two sarcastics, a surreal, a silly, and a self-deprecating... Can you overlay that to uh, uh, Briggs and Myers Briggs? You know, <laughs> I'm, an, I'm an IMFP. Does that help? I don't know what. Uh, I can't remember the Enneagram. Well, there are nine Enneagrams. There are well, nine Enneagrams. Do you need to become an expert in Enneagrams? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is there any co- any correlation? I don't, I don't that's think the next so. thing. Yeah, that's the next thing. Yeah, the next yeah. project. Yeah, yeah. I think I was optimistic in that. So optimistic, sarcastic. Yeah. So we're all full of contradictions. But I think also this has made more self-aware watching. Yeah. that actually the things that you do laugh at are the slapstick moments yeah. the playful I think that's, um, that's, that's a very good thing to take away from uh, from today's episode whatever you write don't forget to put some good old fashioned <laughs> people falling over in there mm-hmm. we like to watch people falling over yeah. I think that's the conclusion we have to make no matter how funny I was aware of this at university there was a man in there was a guy called Johnny Saunders who was in the sketch group that I was in and I knew full well that no matter how funny I wrote any sketch if he walked on and fell over yeah. he would bring the house down yeah. he was so good at it and he was so good at making it not look intentional mm-hmm. um, and so I think you know make your peace with that you yeah. know and <laughs> well, once re- you've done I that yes. I remember the first I think I may have mentioned this before uh, on here but the first uh, time I ever wrote for not going out uh, I was very excited and uh, written lots and lots of jokes 
and uh, as a, other writers I watched the show and it went out and a few of my jokes in there and they got good laughs and I thought that's great and I went on the one, a sort of nerdy comedy forum the next day saying oh I wonder if anyone anyone thought what they thought of the show and things and, and new series not going out and everybody the only thing that they wrote about they said the funniest oh it was so brilliant the funniest thing when Tim Vine fell down in those little balls oh yes yes and I'm sitting there going oh, come on what about the hilarious gags no no that's what everybody wrote that oh yeah and Tim, the Vine Tim Vine falling people, over who is the joke 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 guy yeah. Yeah. actually Tim yeah. Tim falling over on a load of marbles in the Lee Mack show yeah. as well yes exactly no, so, uh, I guess that's a belly laugh reward isn't it it's yeah, just giving people yeah. those little rewards yeah. Yeah. Right. okay cool we should probably tell our listeners to um, check us out on Patreon I think that's Ooh. kind of our next thing isn't it we should yeah. say um, so thank you very much for listening um, if you would like to support this podcast um, beyond us sending us large oversized checks in the mail uh, do join Patreon and there are sort of little little extra things and bits and books and All sorts. secret books, podcasts. Special and monthly newsletters. Yes. yes. Ooh, I better write the new one. Um, and um, so yeah, that would be good. Uh, find us on Facebook, on uh, on Twitter. Um, how can they follow you guys on Twitter? What would be the best place to follow? We're on Twitter, the Nursery News. Yeah. The Nursery News yeah. on is, Twitter. Is your research available generally, or are you going to make it available? We're going to make it available. Okay. Right. We'll keep you posted. Well, yeah, we'll, when you do, we'll, we'll yeah. pull a link up on our okay. Facebook page, and then you can uh, find that. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Pauline. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks and for having Jimmy us. And Kate thank and you. James. Thank, thank you. you all very much, and we shall see you again soon. Bye. Bye.